0: Maybe, just maybe, don't get your hopes up yet, but it sure sounds a lot like the NHL will face off with real games on the 13th of January, a little more than a month away. Good morning to you on that upbeat note. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. Reports began to hint at dates through the course of yesterday. Then they kind of firmed up into the evening, and then, well into the night, Bill Foley, our prime leak, meaning for all hockey lovers everywhere, The owner of the Vegas Golden Knights, who's been blurting out pretty much everything that passes across his desk as a member of the NHL's Board of Governors, made it known that, yes, January 13 is the day they're looking at. From there, a few other dates uh, popped into play. January 3rd would be the date that training camps open, so as you can tell, that's a pretty brief run of of camping, uh, in all likelihood with no or very, very little preseason to go with that. And that's just me saying that. That's just logical extension. I don't know how you could get a preseason game in, uh, never mind the logistical challenges, which I'll get into in a little bit. And the other date that came up was COVID testing beginning on December 26th, of course, the day after Thanksgiving. This is starting to feel real, but process this too. We're sitting here right now on the 9th of December, again, just barely a month away from the start of full-blown hockey, and We don't know which teams are in which division, for crying out loud. I mean, we have some concept of it. We know that all seven Canadian franchises are going to be in the same division because they can't cross the border. We know that you can very easily split the United States' 24 teams into three even divisions of eight. But we don't know who's playing who. Uh, We don't know how they're playing Another thing that leaked out, thanks to Bill Foley, is that the league is still looking seriously at the idea of having teams kind of gravitate toward a city in the division and play a few games there for a little bit, 10, 12 days, then leave, go home for 10, 12 days, and then go to some other city and do it like that. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do with that. I, this is why there still isn't a formal announcement of any kind. I mean, you know, later today, and believe me, I'm not going to change the subject into this, but later today, this Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is expected to announce uh, some much, much more severe measures to try to contain the spread of coronavirus, which is at its peak here and at its at its peak across the country, and it's actually way worse in other parts of the country. And I have a feeling the whole climate, the whole climate of what we're talking about here is going to keep changing with each passing day, each passing week. So there's still a ton of uncertainty here. I'm still allowed to get excited about the idea of hockey. I'm allowed to fantasize that there will be hockey on the 13th of January and that they will have, uh, as the plan seems to be going, a 56-game regular season schedule, and that'll allow them enough time to uh, do these things that I've been describing here as far as logistics go, but also to get the Stanley Cup playoffs in and completed before the start of the Tokyo Olympics. I've been mentioning to you guys for a while now that that's An imperative thing, although the league is trying to downplay that aspect, I don't buy it. It's imperative that they get done because NBC owns the rights, owns the U.S. rights to the Stanley Cup all the way through to the final. The league does not want to be paying NBC back if NBC says, you know what, sorry, you blew it. We got to show the Olympics now you violated your contract. That's that. They will find a way to get hockey done before the torch is lit in Tokyo. That's also why the season will be compacted. Then again, there's another way of looking at it. They've started vaccinations in the United Kingdom. They've started them in Russia. Um, We're supposed to be starting them sometime soon. Once that happens, maybe the conversation flips in the other direction, and all of a sudden... You know, you can go from having no fans in NHL arenas, which I'm positive now is the way it's going to start out, to having, you know, if not completely normal times, then you know, something where the teams and and thus in turn the players can find a way to get paid. I'm just happy to hear something uh, that sounds like there will be a season, in large part because... Even amid all these reports, yesterday, the one thing that really didn't come up all that much is the one thing that would be or would have been the greatest hindrance to having a season, and that's the owners and the players not being able to agree on a modified one-year labor pact that would adjust to all this. Uh, By all accounts... That really doesn't seem to be that much of an issue right now. It sounds like the players have given a little bit to their credit. Uh, they'll end up getting paid someday in full for what they do in 2021, but it won't be in 2021. They're not going to force owners uh, into bankruptcy or you know, send them out to financial institutions begging to cover payroll. And that's smart on all counts because if the owners, and some of them, uh, including from information I got myself, we're really, really ready to shut this down and just say, you know what, we'll see you next fall. And in that event, players would have lost their entire salaries. So, uh, we'll see, you know? We'll see. It'd be nice to have hockey again. Can I just say that? Yeah, good. Well, when we come back, I'm going to delve a little bit deeper into one specific element that's being discussed and how it'll affect the penguins. Welcome back. It looks like The NHL is planning to open its 2021 season, a 56-game slate, on January 13, as I mentioned in the opening segment. There are other contingencies being discussed, if not necessarily solidified yet. I threw out some of those as well, but one I didn't mention because I wanted to save a segment on this is expanded rosters. Now, that won't represent anything new. Uh, We saw it with Major League Baseball. The NBA did it. The NHL had extra players on hand in the playoff bubbles in Canada, but they weren't expanded regular season rosters in the vein of what's being discussed. Word came out, last night from TSN in Canada that instead of the standard 23-man roster, and for anybody who doesn't know or doesn't follow hockey that closely, uh, you dress 20 for a game, including your backup goaltender. You dress 20. And you can carry 23 on an active roster, Not many teams do. You'll usually see one, maximum two players uh, around unless there's injured guys because they want to keep especially younger guys active. And having them sit in the press box, as happens in normal times with healthy scratches, doesn't do them any good and doesn't do the team any good in the long term. Chad Ruweedle. Just think of Chad Ruedel. That's that's his gig. That's what he gets paid uh, a million and change to do every year. Sit in the press box, be ready, wait your time, go out there and be an effective NHL player when your name does get called. This, though, presents a different type of challenge when it comes to roster formation. And at the risk of mixing sports here a little bit, Baseball showed, I think, how not to do this when it comes to expanded rosters and how you handle your minor leaguers and your prospects. The word is that the expanded roster would go from 23 to 26, but the teams also would be permitted to carry an additional four players around with them as a taxi squad. So let's say they go and they play a a series, as they're going to be describing it, if it comes out that way. Uh, in New York against the Rangers, two games, three games, whatever it is at Madison Square Garden, okay? Or they go into one of these mini temporary bubbles. They'll go in there with 30 players, 30 players who've been isolated, who've been uh, run through the protocol and everything else and are considered to be part of the safe traveling troop. They'll go with these 30 players The first thought I had is, wait a second, where are you getting these players from? Because there also are plans, at least among most, I I would say, not some, I would say most minor league teams, to have a season or attempt to have a season. Now, there's been a ton of opt-outs as well, and there are major logistical hassles, not least of which is that There are Canadian franchises with AHL affiliates in the U.S. and vice versa. And you can't call up someone from the minors and say, well, hang on, 14-day quarantine. You know what I mean? So if you're having this taxi squad, who's on it? Are you... Trying to make sure that prospects, like let's say, let's just do this in in Penguins terms. Prospects like Samuel Poulin, Nathan Legere, uh, guys who probably realistically wouldn't make the NHL team, in particular Legere, right off the bat this season if things were normal. But you don't know that they're going to continue to have a season in the Quebec League, uh, you don't know that a prospect like, to throw out another name here, Pierre-Olivier Joseph, uh, the big lanky defenseman, you don't know that he's going to be kept busy because you don't know what kind of season Wilkes-Barre Scranton might have or might not have. So do you make your decision about this 30-man roster based entirely on on the NHL team, or do you throw in a mix of, you know, we got to make sure that these very valuable, important prospects to our organization keep their feet moving? You know what I'm saying? This is where I swing back to baseball. For anybody who doesn't follow uh, the Pirates, they had a situation where they had slightly expanded rosters at the major league level, Now. three extra players, and they had what was known as a satellite camp in Altoona. All teams did. The Pirates weren't unique to this. I'm, again, just putting this in Pittsburgh terms. And at this satellite camp in Altoona, they had to pick and choose from their entire system, meaning a pool of 150-plus players, who was going to be at this camp. And I want to say the maximum was 50 guys there. And eventually, um, they just ran out of pitching. It's something Ben Charrington, their general manager, talked about openly. They They couldn't find enough arms to even hold decent scrimmages because of the amount of innings that needed to be covered, even if you're just going team versus team, to try to keep everybody busy. Plus, you're not really learning all that much. You're facing the same hitters and the same pitchers every bleeping day. What really should have happened, and the Pirates kind of made their own way of making it happen by season's end because their season was shot so early, was they brought some of these prospects up to Pittsburgh and used them in major league games and gave them what I think, and more importantly what those prospects said, was valuable experience. I'd love to see the NHL do something like that. Baseball didn't do it right. Football's never in that position. They have expanded practice squads, but that's, that's not the same thing. That still didn't keep the Ravens from taking the field last week here with 36 guys. Hockey can do this better. Hockey can do this in a way where you might even set a category or a criteria for who can make up this remainder of the roster that you keep around so that you're ensuring that prospects stay active. You don't want them to just sit home. You don't want them to dry up. That is not good for them. It's not good for the future of the sport. It's not good for the investments that have already been made by teams in these valuable players. So if the Penguins had four and all other things were equal, mine would be Poulin, Legere. Uh, yeah, those two. <laughs> I mean, Joseph I think's more of a candidate to actually play on the team right away. You know, Drew O'Connor's another one. That's uh, the college free agent that they signed. That'll be my four guys, and keep them around and use them. Don't put any kind of roster punishments in place you know that stuff about how you have to play maximum nine games or you have to be returned somewhere just put them on your taxi squad and give them a chance to play that doesn't mean Mike Sullivan or any other NHL head coach has to use them but he might he might he might just have a game where he says you know what all my veterans really stunk last night and I'm going to show them something and I'm going to give these kiddies a chance." and you roll them out the next night. Just stuff like that. Plus, it might add a a fun element uh, to a season that's still going to have a lot of people rightly sitting on pins and needles. When we come back, just one question. That's The Point, Point Park University. Today's question comes from GT, who says, Hi DK, thoughts on what will happen with Evgeny Malkin only 19 months until his contract is up? Will he go back to Russia? I always cringe at the go back to Russia things. This isn't meant as a criticism and don't take it personally. Uh, Evgeny Malkin has spent a pretty big chunk of his life here in the United States and specifically in Pittsburgh. Not every athlete or in this case hockey player from Europe or Russia instinctively and automatically wants to go back or goes back. Malkin, if anything, has spent an awful lot of time, in addition to Russia in the off season, but down in Florida as well. He's also very much uh, an NHL guy and has been his whole life. He's aware of the legacy that he's building. That's why he was as rightfully upset as he was about being left off that top 100 list a couple years back. He wants to build that and continue building on that right here in the NHL. And I can say this, in Pittsburgh, there's never been anything other than the most passionate terminology coming from Geno as it relates to staying with the Penguins and staying alongside Sidney Crosby. Now, that doesn't answer your question. Your question is, his contract status, that's not really going to be a Geno thing. That's going to be a Penguins thing. They're the ones that would have to commit to something very significant because of who he is and what he's meant. And yes, to some extent, you do pay for past performance with a truly great player. But you're also going to be paying for it into the later portions of his career when you can be very, very sure that he's not going to perform as we've become accustomed. And that is a really, really difficult spot for a franchise. Mario Lemieux and Ron Burkle both have told me, separately and together, that they believe in keeping their truly great players in their eyes, in Pittsburgh. That's why they were as broken up as they were, and that was legit, over losing Marc-Andre Fleury the way they did in the expansion draft, feeling like they had to hang on to Matt Murray. A decision that you can do whatever you want with in hindsight, but at the time, there weren't too many people disputing it. They feel that way, obviously, about both Sid and Gino, and I've heard them mention Chris Letang in a similar capacity. They don't obviously hold him in the same bracket, nor should they. The Penguins also have tickets to sell. We don't have any idea how long it's going to take the hockey world or the sports world in general to bounce back from coronavirus, but I think hockey's going to have a tougher time than most because it's just been gone, you know? A couple weeks of training camp, and then everybody fled up to Canada. It's been gone. There's going to be some real work toward building up a foundation, maybe not as much in Pittsburgh as in other U.S. cities, but there will be work here, too. The Penguins know that having Sid and Geno sells tickets. And if they sell tickets, they can afford to spend to the cap, etc., etc. There's a lot of different variables that go into it. But my own feeling, to answer your question as directly as I can, is Gino will make that call based on the level of play that he shows. Gino has to show the Penguins not only that he'll still be able to score at a high rate, but also that his game will evolve as I think it began to this past winter, that he can become a more complete player. Uh, the phrasing I've used for this for a long time is that he can find his Sergei Fedorov face, you know, where uh, if you remember the former Detroit great, as he got older stopped being just that guy who scores a ton and ended up becoming uh, arguably one of the league's better defensive centers. Um, I don't ever rule out anything with Gino. I'm not sure he's got a selkie in his future, but I think he can become a whole lot more complete. And again, he started to do that last season. So this is mostly going to be his call, but not verbally. He has to show it on the ice. Really good question, GT. Thanks. And thanks to everybody for listening today